Section 54 of The History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. The History of Chemistry, Volume 2, Chapter 3, The Progress of Scientific Chemistry in France, Part 2. In the year 1772, he published a collection of scientific essays under the title of Digressions Académiques. The memoirs on phlogiston, crystallization, and solution found in this book deserve particular attention and show the superiority of Morveau over most of the chemists of the time. About this time, an event happened which deserves to be stated. It had been customary in one of the churches of Dion to bury considerable numbers of dead bodies. From these an infectious exhalation had proceeded, which had brought on a malignant disorder and threatened the inhabitants of Dion with something like the plague. All attempts to put an end to this infectious matter had failed, when Morveau tried the following method with complete success. A mixture of common salt and sulfuric acid in a wide-mouthed vessel was put upon chafing dishes in various parts of the church. The doors and windows were closed and left in this state for twenty-four hours. They were then thrown open, and the chafing dishes with the mixtures removed. Every remains of the bad smell was gone, and the church was rendered quite clean and free from infection. The same process was tried soon after in the prisons of Dion, with the same success. Afterwards, chlorine gas was substituted for muriatic acid gas, and found still more efficacious. The present practice is to employ chloride of lime or chloride of soda for the purpose of fumigating infected apartments, and the process is found still more effectual than the muriatic acid gas, as originally employed by Morveau. The nitric acid fumes, proposed by Dr. Carmichael Smith, are also efficacious, but the application of them is much more troublesome and more expensive than of chloride of lime, which costs very little. In the year 1774, it occurred to Morveau that a course of lectures on chemistry delivered in his native city might be useful. Application being made to the proper authorities, the permission was obtained and the necessary funds for supplying a laboratory granted. These lectures were begun on the 29th of April, 1776, and seem to have been of the very best kind. Everything was stated with great clearness and illustrated by a sufficient number of experiments. His fame now began to extend, and his name to be known to men of science in every part of Europe, and in consequence he began to experience the fate of almost all eminent men, to be exposed to the attacks of the malignant and the envious. The experiments which he exhibited to determine the properties of carbonic acid gas drew upon him the animadversions of several medical men, who affirmed that this gas was nothing else than a peculiar state of sulfuric acid. Morveau answered these animadversions in two pamphlets, and completely refuted them. About this time he got metallic conductors erected on the house of the academy at Dion, 
On this account he was attacked violently for his presumption in disarming the hand of the supreme being. A multitude of fanatics assembled to pull down the conductors, and they would probably have done much mischief had it not been for the address of Monsieur Marais, the secretary, who assured them that the astonishing virtue of the apparatus resided in the gilded point, which had purposely been sent from Rome by the Holy Father. Will it excite any surprise that within less than twenty years after this, the mass of the French people not only denounced the Christian religion and the spiritual dominion of the Pope, but declared themselves atheists? In 1777, Morveau published the first volume of A Course of Chemistry, which was afterwards followed by three other volumes, and is known by the name of Elements de Chimie de l'Académie de Dijon. This book was received with universal approbation, and must have contributed very much to increase the value of his lectures. Indeed, a textbook is essential toward a successful course of lectures. It puts it in the power of the students to understand the lecture if they be at the requisite pains, and gives them a means of clearing up their difficulties, when any such occur. I do not hesitate to say that a course of chemical lectures is twice as valuable when the students are furnished with a good textbook, as when they are left to interpret the lectures by their own unassisted exertions. Soon after, he undertook the establishment of a manufacture of saltpetre upon a large scale. For this he received the thanks of Monsieur Necker, who was at that time Minister of Finance, in the name of the King of France. This manufactory he afterwards gave up to Monsieur Courtois, whose son still carries it on, and is advantageously known to the public as the discoverer of iodine. His next object was to make a collection of minerals, and to make himself acquainted with the science of mineralogy. All this was soon accomplished. In 1777 he was charged to examine the slate quarries and the coal mines of Burgundy, for which purpose he performed a mineralogical tour through the province. In 1779 he discovered a lead mine in that country, and a few years afterwards, when the attention of chemists had been drawn to sulphate of barites and its base by the Swedish chemists, he sought for it in Burgundy, and found it in considerable quantity at Thote. This enabled him to draw up a description of the mineral, and to determine the characters of the base, to which he gave the name Barote, afterwards altered to that of Barites. This paper was published in the third volume of the Memoir of the Dion Academy. In this paper he describes his method of decomposing sulphate of barites by heating it with charcoal, a method now very frequently followed. In the year 1779 he was applied to by Pencouc, who meditated the great project of the Encyclopédie Méthodique to undertake the chemical articles in that immense dictionary and the demand was supported by a letter from Buffon, whose request he did not think he would with propriety refuse. The engagement was signed between them in September 1780. The first half-volume of the chemical part of this encyclopedia did not appear till 1786, and Morveau must have been employed during the interval in the necessary study and researches. Indeed, it is obvious from the many of the articles that he had spent a good deal of time in experiments of research. 
the state of the chemical nomenclature was at that period peculiarly barbarous and defective. He found himself stopped at every corner for want of words to express his meaning. This state of things he resolved to correct, and accordingly in 1782 published his first essay on a new chemical nomenclature. No sooner did this essay appear than it was attacked by almost all chemists of Paris, and by none more zealously than by the chemical members of the Academy. Undismayed by the violence of his antagonists, and satisfied with the rectitude of his views and the necessity of the reform, he went directly to Paris to answer the objections in person. He not only succeeded in convincing his antagonists of the necessity of reform, but a few years afterwards prevailed upon the most eminent chemical members of the Academy, Lavoisier, Berthollet, and Fourcroix, to unite with him in rendering the reform still more complete and successful. He drew up a memoir, exhibiting a plan of a methodical chemical nomenclature, which was read at a meeting of the Academy of Sciences in 1787. Morveau, then, was in reality the author of the new chemical nomenclature, if we accept a few terms, which had been already employed by Lavoisier. Had he done nothing more for the science than this, it would deservedly have immortalized his name. For everyone must be sensible how much the new nomenclature contributed to the subsequent rapid extension of chemical science. It was during the repeated conferences held with Lavoisier and the two other associates that Morveau became satisfied of the truth of Lavoisier's new doctrine, and that he was induced to abandon the phlogistic theory. We do not know the methods employed to convert him. Doubtless both reasoning and experiment were made use of for the purpose. It was during this period that Morveau published a French translation of the Opuscula of Bergman. A society of friends, under his encouragement, translated the chemical memoirs of Scheele and many other foreign books of importance, which by their means were made known to the men of science in France. In 1783, in consequence of a favorable report by Marquer, Morveau obtained permission to establish a manufactory of carbonate of soda, the first of the kind ever attempted in France. It was during the same year he published his collections of pleadings at the bar, among which we find his Discours sur le Bonhomme, delivered at the opening of the sessions at Dion, with which he took leave of his fellow magistrates, surrendering the insignia of the office, as he had determined to quit the profession of the law. On the 25th of April, 1784, Morveau, accompanied by President Virely, ascended from Dion in a balloon which he had himself constructed, and repeated the ascent on the 12th of June following, with a view of ascertaining the possibility of directing these aerostatic machines by an apparatus of his own contrivance. The capacity of the balloon was 10,498,074 French cubic feet. The effect produced by this bold undertaking by two of the most distinguished characters in the town was beyond description. Such ascents were then quite new, and looked upon with a kind of reverential awe. Though Morveau failed in his attempts to direct these aerial vessels, yet his method was ingenious and exceedingly plausible. <laughs> 
1786, Dr. Murray, secretary to the Dion Academy, having fallen a victim to an epidemic disease, which he had in vain attempted to arrest, Morveau was appointed perpetual secretary and chancellor of the institution. Soon after this, the first half-volume of the chemical part of the Encyclopedia Methodique made its appearance and drew the attention of every person interested in the science of chemistry. No chemical treatise had hitherto appeared worthy of being compared to it. The article acid, which occupies a considerable part, is truly admirable, and whether we consider the historical details, the completeness of the accounts, the accuracy of the description of the experiments, or the elegance of the style, constitutes a complete model of what such a work should be. I may perhaps be partial, as it was from this book that I imbibed my own first notions in chemistry, but I never perused any book with more delight, and when I compared it with the best chemical books of the time, whether German, French, or English, its superiority became still more striking. In the article Assier, Morveau had come to the very same conclusions with respect to the nature of steel as had been come to by Berthollet, Mongre, and van der Monde in their celebrated paper on the subject, just published in the memoirs of the Academy. His own article had been printed, though not published, before the appearance of the memoir of the academicians. This induced him to send an explanation to Berthollet, which was speedily published in the Journal de Physique. In September 1787, he received a visit from Lavoisier, Berthollet, Fourcroix, Monge, and Vandermonde. Dr. Bedos, who was traveling through France at the time and happened to be in Dion, joined the party. The object of the meeting was to discuss several experiments explanatory of the new doctrine. In 1789, an attempt was made to get him admitted as a member of the Academy of Sciences, but it failed, notwithstanding the strenuous exertions of Berthollet and his other chemical friends. The French Revolution had now broken out occasioned by the wants of the state on one hand and the resolute determination of the clergy and the nobility on the other not to submit to bear any share in the public burdens during the early part of this revolution morveau took no part whatever in politics in seventeen ninety when france was divided into departments he was named one of a commission by the national assembly for the formation of the department of the cote d'or on the twenty fifth of august seventeen ninety one he received from the academy of sciences the annual prize of two thousand francs for the most useful work published in the course of the year this was decreed for him for his dictionary of chemistry in the encyclopedia methodique Aware of the pressing necessities of the state, Morveau seized the opportunity of showing his desire of contributing towards its relief by making a patriotic offering of the whole amount of his prize. When the election of the Second Constitutional Assembly took place, he was nominated a member by the Electoral College of his department. A few months before, his name had appeared among the list of members proposed by the Assembly for the election of a governor for the heir apparent. 
All this, together with the dignity of Solicitor General of the Department, to which he had recently been raised, not permitting him to continue his chemical lectures at Dion, of which he had already delivered fifteen gratuitous courses, he resigned his chair in favor of Dr. Chaussier, afterwards a distinguished professor at the Faculty of Medicine of Paris, and bidding adieu to his native city, proceeded to Paris. On the ever-memorable 16th of January, 1793, he voted with the majority of his deputies. He was therefore, in consequence of this vote, a regicide. During the same year he resigned, in favor of the Republic, his pension of two thousand francs, together with the arrears of that pension. In 1794 he received from the government different commissions to act with the French armies in the Low Countries, charged with the direction of a great aerostatic machine for warlike purposes. He superintended that one in which the chief of the staff of General Jourdain and himself ascended during the Battle of Fleurus, and which so materially contributed to the success of the French arms on that day. On his return from his various missions, he received from the three committees of the executive government an invitation to cooperate with several learned men in the instruction of the central schools, and was named professor of chemistry at École Centrale de Travaux Publics, since better known under the name of the Polytechnic School. In 1795, he was re-elected member of the Council of 500 by the electoral assemblies of Sarthe and Ile-et-Vienne. The executive government at this time decreed the formation of the National Institute and named him one of the 48 members chosen by government to form the nucleus of that scientific body. In 1797, he resigned all his public situations and once more attached himself exclusively to science and to the establishments for public instruction. In 1798, he was appointed a provisional director of the Polytechnic School to supply the place of Monge, who was then in Egypt. He continued to exercise its duties during 18 months to the complete satisfaction of every person connected with that establishment. With much delicacy and disinterestedness, he declined accepting the salary of 2,000 francs attached to this situation, which he thought belonged to the proper director, though absent from his duties. In 1799, Bonaparte appointed him one of the administers general of the Mint, and the year following he was made director of the Polytechnic School. In 1803 he received the Cross of the Legion of Honor, then recently instituted, and in 1805 was made an officer of the same order. These honors were intended as a reward for the advantage which had accrued from the mineral acid fumigations which he had first suggested. In 1811 he was created a baron of the French Empire. After having taught in the École Polytechnique for sixteen years, he obtained leave on applying to the proper authorities to withdraw into the retired station of private life, crowned with years and reputation, and followed with the blessings of the numerous pupils whom he had brought up in the career of science. In this situation he continued about three years, 
during which he witnessed the downfall of Bonaparte and the restoration of the Bourbons. On the 21st of December, 1815, he was seized with a total exhaustion of strength, and after an illness of three days only, expired in the arms of his disconsolate wife and a few trusty friends, having nearly completed the eightieth year of his age. On the 3rd of January, 1816, his remains were followed to the grave by the members of the Institute and many other distinguished men and berthollet one of his colleagues pronounced a short but impressive funeral oration on his departed friend morveau had married madame picardet the widow of a dion academician who had distinguished himself by numerous scientific translations from the swedish german and english languages the marriage took place after they were both advanced in life, and he left no children behind him. His publications on chemical subjects were exceedingly numerous, and he contributed as much as any of his contemporaries to the extension of the science. But he was not the author of any striking chemical discoveries. It would be tedious to give a catalogue of his numerous productions, which were scattered through the Dion Memoir the Journal de Physique, and the Annales de Chimay. End of section 54. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. Interfaceaudio.com.